Daniel uh, chapter 1, 1 through 7. Uh, on Wednesday night, during our youth service upstairs, I'm going to be uh, having a, a time of discussion with our youth uh, on uh, matters of life and death. There's such a death culture that we have in our, in our society, and uh, we should not be surprised. We're saddened, but we should not be surprised that that has resulted uh, in, in uh, people in despair uh, taking their, their own lives. Uh, and that's just one of the symptoms of a culture of death. And I, I felt that they needed to hear a biblical, uh, uh, biblical view of life and death and also uh, biblically informed opinions on life and death. And I thought about doing it to the whole church and then I thought, no, our youth might be a little reticent to ask questions if they're in with all the adults. So we're going to do that with the youth on Wednesday night. So if you have a child or a grandchild that uh, is 12 uh, or above, uh, it'd be a good idea to get, get them here. They're hearing a lot of what the world has to say. What the world has to say about life and death is certainly not correct. And unfortunately, and I, and I, love, I love God's people, wherever they are, no matter what's over, over the door. But sometimes even what they're hearing from pastors is not biblically correct. And, 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 and sometimes they're, they're getting bad information that results in bad decisions. And so we, we, need, to, we need to approach it from, uh, from the Bible. And so we just encourage you to get your youth here on Wednesday night. I'll be meeting with them on Wednesday night. Amen. I will tell you this one thing before we move on. The thief comes but for to kill, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if it steals, kills, or destroys, it didn't come from the Lord. Right? So uh, we're going to be talking about that on Wednesday night and have a discussion and a time of questions and answers. Okay, when you get to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Look up here behind me. If you're at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. All right, just want to make sure you're with me. Amen. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. The king instructed Asphenaz, 
the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies of wine, which he drank in three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the church in Babylon. The church in Babylon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And Lord, I'm asking you for your anointing to preach and teach your word today. We're living in troubled times, perilous times, confusing times. But Lord, the darker the night, the brighter the stars shine. And you have called us and caused us to be a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. We're praying, dear God, that you would teach us how to let our light shine in the midst of spiritual darkness. And for that, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord, for your word. The church in Babylon. Four Hebrew young men, Daniel, and the three Hebrew children that we know more, it's interesting, we know them more by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were young men that were taken captive when Babylon fell to Nebuchadnezzar. And because they were royalty, because they were nobles, because they were good looking and wise and had, had the qualities that they were looking for, they were taken to Babylon and they were made uh, eunuchs there in Babylon and they were trained by the chief of the eunuch to serve uh, the king of Babylon who was Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine being ripped away from family and from friends? Can you imagine your whole world uh, falling apart? Imagine if somebody were to come into Douglas today and kidnap you and take you, take you away from those that you love. Took you to a strange land. Made you learn a strange language. Stra strange, unusual customs to you. Can you imagine how lonely you might feel? How lonely you might be? Can you imagine the culture shock that you would go to? Can you imagine all of the emotions that would come up in you as a result of being taken away, of serving in a strange land? It had to be that what Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and all of the others that were taken captive and taken into Babylon, it had to be that they felt what is so eloquently expressed in Psalm 137. They said, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and we wept. When we remembered Zion, when we remembered home, we wept. We took our musical instruments, we took our our harps and we hung them on the willows and those that carried us away captive, the Babylonians, they kept picking at us. They kept wanting a song. They had heard about our church songs. They had heard about our gospel songs. They kept wanting to hear from us a song and those that 
plundered us. They wanted us to smile. They wanted us to be happy. They put a pressure on us. They wanted us to be uh, joyful. They wanted us to be, uh, you know, uh, jump when they said jump. But how could we sing a song in a captive land? How can we sing a song in a foreign land? That must have been the way that they felt in exile. 1 Peter 2 and 11 says to us that we are wanderers, we're strangers, we're foreigners, we're sojourners and pilgrims in this land. Hebrews 11, 13 and 14 uh, says that those that followed God all the way down from righteous Abel all the way down the hall of faith, he said they were sojourners and pilgrims in the earth. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Hebrews eleven fourteen says because they were looking for a homeland. Verse 16 said they desired a better country, a heavenly country. Therefore God's not ashamed to be called their God for God has prepared a city for them. These people were in a strange land, a strange time. They felt that they, uh, and in reality they were living in exile. And I want you to know that there is the exile of the church. That we are living, the reason that you feel like you're a square peg trying to fit into a round hole is because you are. You're not like your neighbors, your friends, your workmates, your classmates. You are not like them. If they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they've not been born again, if they've not become a naturalized citizen of the kingdom of God, then you are as different as night and day. It's not just because of where they go that you don't go. It's not just because of what they do that you don't do. It's not that you go places like church that they don't go. It's not that you do things like read the Bible and pray that they don't do. It's not a matter of the externals. It's not a matter of, uh, of, of just the way of life. In reality, you are an entirely new species of human being if you've been born again. There is a difference and there's always going to be the rub when light tries to have fellowship with darkness and, and uh, vice versa. There is that rub. There is that feeling that I'm, I'm just not at home. I'm just a stranger. I'm a foreigner. I don't fit. I had no problem with that when I was coming up because I come up in a time where that was still being taught to us as the norm. It didn't bother me when I wasn't accepted by society or accepted by people in the school because I was taught to expect that that was the cost that I paid for following Jesus. But somewhere along the lines, we got to where acceptance by the world became much more important to us than acceptance by the Lord. Somehow or another, we got to where we didn't want anybody to think we were odd, think we were strange, think we were different. And therefore, we started acting like the world. But I want you to understand that if you are a child of God, you are a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. Now, yes, I'm a member, uh, I'm a citizen of the United States, and I'm proud of it. I still think it's the greatest country on the face of the earth. I still put my heart, I, I heard somebody out in uh, uh, some a newspaper writer wrote an op-ed that said we ought to stop singing the national anthem uh, on the, uh, you know, during sporting events. I'm going to tell you I still get chills and a lump in my throat and tears in my eyes when I hear them saying 
the national anthem, the home of, of the brave. I st that still affects me. I have national pride. And I'm not rebellious against my citizen. And the president is my president. The vice president's my vice president. The governor's my governor. The mayor's my mayor. All of those things are true. However, I have dual citizenship. I am a citizen of the United States, but my first citizenship is not, and my first loyalty is not to the United States of America. I am part of a kingdom. In fact, that kingdom resides on the inside of me, and I have a king, and my loyalty to my earthly home, my earthly nation, is always subservient to my loyalty to my heavenly king. And so, yes, we are a church living in exile. Now, the reason that feels so funny to us is because most of us grew up in, a, in an America that was a churched America. The church had had so much influence in America, we grew up in a moral America. We grew up in an America that had some understanding of Christian virtues. We lived in a time, most of us even, even as young as I am, I still grew up in a time that what I was taught at church, I was taught at home, I was taught in the school, it was reinforced by and large with what came on the television, even some of those things were reinforced in the movies. Now, our children are growing up into a time that the only place that they hear the gospel is in church and sometimes not even there. They don't even hear the gospel there. Many of them don't hear it at home. Even those that hear it at home, they hear the opposite at school. They certainly get the opposite from the media. They get the opposite of what they watch on television, what they hear on the radio, what they have on social media. All of it is designed to chip away at the Christian moorings and foundations of our society. So we're starting to feel what generations of Christians have felt before us. We're starting to sense that we are different. We're starting to sense that we are really strangers and foreigners. But what we had in the United States was unique in the history of the world. For much of the history of the Christian church, Christians were seen as outcasts, seen as pilgrims on the earth. But I'm reminded how Hebrews 11:16 puts it. It's all right that I don't feel at home here because those that have come before me felt the same way. And the reason they felt the same way is because they were seeking a city not made with hands. They were seeking a heavenly home. And I love the way that old hymn writer wrote it. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through my treasures and my hopes laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the angels beckon me to heaven's open door. And I cannot feel at home in this world anymore. Yes, we are living in exile in a world that is increasingly hostile to our faith and to us. But what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, we're not only a church in exile. We not only look at the exile of the church, but we look at the exercise of the church. What is our action? How do we behave knowing these things? First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Now he'd already told us in that passage of scripture, real royalty. 
Just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, royalty that had been taken captive, we're a royal priesthood. We're a peculiar people. That doesn't mean odd, although some of us are odd, but that doesn't mean that. It means we're unique. We're the peculiar, unique possession of the Lord. We're a peculiar people. We're a holy priesthood. We're a royal nation. But we're living in exile, so how should we live? Well, we live as strangers and foreigners, and we don't give in to the fleshly desires and carnal lust, overwhelming lust. We live different than those in Babylon live. I may be in Babylon, but Babylon's not in me. I am not of this world. Jesus prayed to his Father, his high priestly prayer in John 17. He prayed and said this, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I am asking you to keep them from the evil that is in the world. And Jesus was able to say, the prince of this world has nothing in me. Verse 12 says, having your conduct, your way of life, let it be honorable among the Gentiles, even though they might talk bad about you and call you even do evildoers. When it's all said and done, your good works which they observe will glorify God in the day of visitation. I'm telling you that Christians ought to be living right. And in the day that we're living in, don't you allow your Christian witness and your Christian way of life to be compromised, to look like, act like, think like, talk like the world. You need to come out from among them and be separate and be a shining light. So how can we be that? Well, number one, we do that by our integrity. By our integrity. The first thing that Daniel and Meshach uh, 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 at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ran into was the king wanted them to eat things that were unlawful for them to eat. And they said, we can't do that. And the, the chief of the eunuch said, well, I'm going to get in trouble if you're not as healthy as the rest of these people. And they said, well, you just bring us some beans and some lentils. You just bring us, you bring us vegetables. And we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink the things that the king wants us to. We're going to remain pure. And when it was said and done, they were in better shape those that, than those that ate all the rest of that. In fact, they had to take a final exam. And the Bible says they did ten times better than the other people because they maintained their integrity. I'm going to tell you, when you do things the right way and for the right reason, you may have a momentary setback, but in the long run, you're still going to be standing when all around you are falling like flies. People will recognize a life of integrity. Not only that, but with the three Hebrew children, when it was sent out a command from Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar had built that big, huge statue, and he said, when you hear the music playing, you're to bow down and worship that statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we are not going to bow. And so uh, whenever uh, the king heard it, Nebuchadnezzar heard it, he brought them before him, and they said, listen, O king, we can't do anything but worship the God of heaven. So if you want us to bow, we can't bow. And if you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace, if we don't bow, listen to us. Our God is well able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship that false idol. But he will. And then the music played. They did not bow. They were thrown in the fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar begins to wipe his eyes. And he said, hey, didn't we throw three men in bound in the fiery furnace? They said, yes, king. He said, well, listen, I see four men all of them are loose and walking around that fourth one looks an awful like, like, like the son of God and they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke because God delivered them 
at the end of his life, a new regime, a new king, a new nation had taken over. And Darius the king had foolishly uh, signed a law that nobody would pray except to him. But Daniel all of his life, he's now an old man, all of his life he had prayed three times a day to the God of heaven. And even though he loved Darius and even though he was one of the chief officials in the land, he said, I'm not going to change what I'm doing now. And so he opened that window and three times a day he prayed toward the east looking toward Jerusalem he began to pray and seek the Lord and as he did that they told the king and the king sadly had him thrown into the lion's den but I want you to know that Daniel as he sat there you know the story the lions came up and licked his hand and purred and rubbed him and lay down at his feet and went to sleep and the next morning Darius ran and flew open the, the, the door to the dungeon and looked down and he said where is Daniel and Daniel said I'm right here and all of a sudden the king said I'm making a new law we're going to worship only the God of heaven the God of Daniel that's what happens when you walk in integrity even in Babylon they also uh, were a light because they had interaction the Bible says of the chief eunuch in Daniel uh, 1 and 9 that Daniel and the others had good will from the chief of the eunuch Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that, that, of a big tree that was full of fruit. It was a dominating tree. It just filled up everything. And he had a dream that an angel came down from heaven and cut down that tree. But he left the stump and the roots. And he called Daniel in. And in, in Daniel 4.27, Daniel had said, King, I don't want to tell you the interpretation of that dream. In fact, King, I wish that dream was about one of your enemies. But if you press me, I'm going to have to tell you, you're the tree. And God's going to cut you down. But he's leaving the stump and the roots because after a while it's going to regrow. And so Daniel said in verse 4, 27, he said, King, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps they may be, there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Maybe you're going to forego judgment if you'll start living right and doing right. But the king persisted in his ways, and the Bible says that for 12 months, one year later, God let him go along. And one year later, he was walking through his palace, and he was looking at all the glory of his palace. Maybe he looked outside and saw the hanging gardens of Babylon. And in his heart, he said, oh, what a majesty and what power I've built in Babylon. And he heard a voice from heaven that said, your kingdom has come to an end. And what happened to him? His hair began to grow out like it was the feathers of an eagle. His fingernails and his toenails as he was exiled because of his insanity began to grow like the talons of a lion or the claws of an eagle. He was wet with the dew of the earth and there the king is out back in the backyard wallowing around in the pasture because he's lost his mind. And for seven long years he lived in that state and the God of heaven miraculously brought his mind back to it, to himself. And in Daniel 4.34, Nebuchadnezzar said, At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. 
and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdoms for generation of generations. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom and my honor and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my noblemen's resulted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and the excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All the words are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride shall he put down. I'm telling you that the interaction that Daniel had with Nebuchadnezzar put him in a place where he gave advice to the king and the Lord backed it up with his word. And of course, Darius the same way. The interaction that Daniel had with him caused him at the end when they came up out of the lion's den to write a decree that they would only worship the Lord thy God. So while we're in uh, captivity in Babylon, we cannot live inside the four walls of our church. We can't go off to some mountain desert retreat and build, you know, a monastery and hide out. God has put us in the earth to be salt and light. And while we're not of this world, we are in the world. And our interaction with those that are in the world give us influence. Interaction will give you influence. And influence, listen, he wants us to be light. He wants us to be salt. Salt preserves, salt promotes, it heals, salt prompts, it makes people thirsty. Salt sometimes even provokes, it stings it if you get it in the wound. And our, our presence in the earth does all of those things. But God gave Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, he gave them influence. Through the dreams and prophecies that Daniel interpreted, Daniel had influence. The king Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel. This is Daniel 2, 48 and 49. I won't read it to you, but the Bible says he gave him great gifts. He, he put him over the whole province of, of uh, Babylon. He became the street, uh, the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And then he also put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of Babylon. They they worked up under Daniel and Daniel sat right by the king when the king passed judgment Daniel was his right hand man I'm telling you that while we are in exile we're to have interaction and we're to have influence so while we're not going to vote this world into Christianity we still have an influence on those that are the power shakers in this life we're not going to change the world just on our job or in our occupation but we have influence we're salt and light and then we are light by intercession we have devalued and underestimated prayer in our day but in Jeremiah 29 there's that famous scripture 29 11 and for the sake of time I won't read all of it to you but in Jeremiah 29 there were those that were going around false prophets that were going around saying we're about to leave here but about to get out of Babylon and the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said, No, what I want you to do is build your houses, let your children get married, pray for the peace, the prosperity of Babylon, because if it goes well with Babylon, it goes well with you. 
If Babylon does good, you're going to do good. But I want you to pray for Babylon. Now I'm going to tell you we're living in exile and there's some of us that get the idea we've just given up on the world. We've given up on the United States. We say it ain't worth saving anyway. Wish the Lord rained out judgment on it. But I'm going to tell you as long as we're in this earth, as long as we're in this nation, we need to pray that this nation will be blessed because when the nation's blessed, we're blessed. And why do you think God's leaving her, us here so long? He's leaving, her, uh, leaving us here as intercessors. David, uh, Daniel prayed for Babylon. He prayed for Persia. And the Bible says don't listen to those that are saying we're about to go. But I'll tell you this, there is coming a day you're going to go. And when that day comes, I know the thoughts, verse 11, that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. And that leads us to, the, to this point, the exodus of the church. He says in verse 12, then when that day comes, you'll go to pray with me and I, pray to me, I'll listen to you. You'll seek me, you'll find me when you search with all your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. There is coming an exodus. Now, there's two exoduses. There's the exodus that came when they came out of Egypt. And there's the exodus when they came back from Babylon. And you and I were exiled in Egypt. That's sin. But we made an exodus out of sin. In fact, that's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 9. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is there anybody here remembers when you were lost in sin? Anybody remember when you served the slave master of Satan? Anybody remember when you were broken and you, had, and you spent nights weeping into your pillow? Anybody remember the darkness, the loneliness, the travail of soul when you were bound by Satan and bound by self and bound by sin? But aren't you glad that God sent you our Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take you by the hand and lead you out of the wilderness of sin into the promised land of his presence? But we're living also yeah, go ahead and give the Lord a hand. But we've been called out of Egypt, but we're living in Babylon. We're living in a world that is where we are sojourners and pilgrims. But there is coming a final exodus. One of these days, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. And the morning will break eternal bright and fair. And all of the saved of earth shall gather to their home beyond the shore. And when the roll is called up yonder, I'm going to be there. There is coming a time, Jesus said, when you see all these things coming on the earth, don't you let there be men's hearts failing them for fear. But don't let that be said of you. Don't you fret. Don't you worry when you see these things coming. Look up because your redemption draweth nigh. In fact, 
Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, he said, there's people that will say, where's the promises of his coming? It's been that way all my life. Great grandma believed in it. I don't believe, they're scoffers. I don't believe he's coming. But he said this, God is not slack as men count slackness, but he's faithful to fulfill his promise. And I want you to remember that a thousand years is like one day to the Lord and one day is like a thousand years. But there is coming a time when the Lord is going to return and the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Heavens are going to pass away. Nevertheless, we look according to his promise for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's coming an exodus from this earth. You're going to get out of Babylon. You're going to go not to Jerusalem, but to the new Jerusalem, where the streets are paved with gold, and the walls are made of jasper, and the gates are made of pearl. You're going to the, our heavenly home. And finally, there is, when living in exile, when living in Babylon, there is the extension of the church. The extension of the church. How you live, what you do, is going to outlive you on the earth. One of these days you're going to pass from the scene, but the contribution you made is going to continue. The legacy that you've left is going to continue far after you're gone. The Bible says that Daniel was made the head of the wise men in first Babylon and then as, the, as the, the empires changed in Persia he had influence. And the Persian wise men were called magi, wise men. And many scholars believe that those wise men that brought gifts to the baby Jesus, they believed that they were Persians that brought gifts. They came from the east. And if that's the case, that means that in generations to follow, we're, we're talking about five centuries, 500 years that had passed. But the reason that they knew to come to, to, uh, to Israel and follow that star is because they knew the word of God. And they had looked in numbers and found out that an old backslidden, sly, money-hungry prophet named Balaam had prophesied that his star was going to shine in the east. And so they followed that star. How did they know the Word of God? I believe they knew the Word of God because 500 years before their time, Daniel had taught and had lived and had planted the seeds of the word of God that 500 years later wise men from that same nation would go back to where Daniel was from to look for the Messiah. The extension of the church. Sukkotas was, was 16 years old. Whenever on the shores of Britain some rogue pirates came and captured him, they took and they sailed him across the sea to a strange island 
with a strange dialect. And he was their slave for six to eight years. Sukkotosh did not know God. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't live right. His granddaddy was a preacher. And his daddy was a deacon. But he didn't live right. But those eight years that he spent as a slave to those pirates, he started calling on the name of the Lord. He started calling out to God. And God became real to him. In that time. And the Lord revealed to him that he was about to be set free. And one day they left the gate open and he found his way to a ship going back to Britain. He made his way on that ship and then he walked 28 days over land and got back home. And after he had been home a while and began to study the Bible and study Christianity and get trained to be a preacher himself. He had a vision according to his own writings. He had a vision of a man from that, from that island where he had been a slave. And in the hands of that man was a letter. And written on the outside of that letter, it said the voice of the Irish. And he opened that letter and read, We appear, appeal to you, holy servant boy. Come and walk among us. So that 16-year-old boy that was now in his 20s left home and went back to the land of his captivity. They say that he had so much power with God that he drove all the snakes off the island. I don't know, but I can tell you ain't no snakes there to this day. They say that he had so much power with God that the Lord turned his walking stick into a tree. One day, he was teaching them about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he looked to know how to explain it. So he reached down to the uh, into the ground and plucked out a little clover that had three leaves. And taught them about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They called it a shamrock. You cannot think of Ireland without thinking of him. And you can't think of him without thinking of Ireland. He went by many names. Some called him Magnus, which meant, meant famous. Some called him Succotus, which meant the God of war. He preferred Patricus, which meant the nobleman or the father of citizens. And the Irish called him Padraig. And we call him Patrick. The Catholic Church made him a saint. And the date of his death, March 17th, today, is his feast day to honor him. We call it St. Patrick's Day. And it's not about wearing green and it's certainly not about drinking green beer or any other color for that matter. It's about a boy that was captured and taken into exile. And when he was freed, he heard the call of God to go back to the land of his captivity 
and set others free. And Jesus has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But he's calling us to go back into the land of captivity and see others be made free. The way Jesus said it was this. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We are a church in exile. We're living in Babylon. But God doesn't have us here to just pass the time. God doesn't have us here to serve time. God has us here because there's some people living in Babylon that need what we've got. That need the gospel. Because when the Lord takes us out of here, he's wanting to take some more with us. The church in Babylon. Would you stand all over the building today? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, these are...